I have things recording on my end for for whenever things naturally start. I am ready to talk about video games. But there's one specific game you're not ready to talk about. Is that true? Uh-oh. Yeah, there is one game I'm not ready to talk about. I'm uh, There's two games, honestly. One uh, blow to my pride, really, that I haven't played at this point still. But yeah, that Transistor game, guys. How was it? I'm not giving any thoughts. Hey, this is going to be the first game for Game Club that we're going into that we haven't said a single thing to each other about our thoughts on, and I want to keep it that way. That's true. True. Same. The only thing I'm going to say is that I'm very close to the end. Like, I could probably beat it in less than an hour, and I was going to try and grind it out before the podcast here, and then when I said, like, oh, I'm going to be ready for Transistor Talk, guys, Mark was like, oh, shit. I did not play that game. Um, so I stopped playing it because I really wanted to go on a bike ride. And it's very nice out in Buffalo, New York. So I did that. And I still have not finished it. I'll probably finish it tomorrow. But no thoughts on it. No thoughts. No thoughts. The only thoughts I have are me, the thoughts of me playing the game. But those are imaginary because I have not played it. The, so. Like... Have you just been too engrossed in moving stuff or have you just been wasting time and it completely slipped your mind? It's a little bit of both. The move, the, the settling in hasn't gone exactly the way I wanted it to. Like, I mean, A, my PC, of course, broke and that's where I own Transistor. Uh, there's a lot of stuff still sitting in my room that I'm waiting for other furniture to kind of put around. I have a whole box I haven't unpacked because I'm still waiting to hook up my TV correctly, but... I need something from Best Buy that won't get here till Saturday. Uh, so there's just a lot of stuff just waiting right now until other things get moved. And then the PC was really just the thing that shot me in the leg. So, and also I've been cooking dinner for family, which is really weird, honestly. It's weird after how many years? Seven years, seven plus years, really, of just living on my own and not coming back with family and just doing family things like that. It's very strange. I, I didn't. It, it caught me off guard. A life update right there for you. It's very wholesome. Yeah. Um. Have you looked more into the PC issues? Do you have any idea what could be going on? Um. I have. I have two ideas of what it could be. I think it could be a power supply issue, and if it is, that won't be too expensive. Or it's my motherboard that somehow got smashed. Somehow, on during the move, as I shipped it in a box through UPS across the country. However, that could have happened. I don't know. But if it's the motherboard, that's like four hundred dollars. So most of my warranty will cover it. Uh, if it's a power supply, I think also warranty. But I just got to take it into a PC repair place where someone could actually figure out what's wrong. Probably at this point. But I don't have the money for that. I. I get like anxiety for your PC because I mean, it's just always going through an issue and I definitely, I do not envy that. And you don't have the luxury of just pressing a button and having everything work like it's supposed to either. Yeah, but mine has a bunch of like fancy colors on it. So when it turns on, it's really pretty. Yeah. When, when it, it turns on, but a little piece of like plastic just broke that cost $600. So now you can't use it. It's not plastic though. That's oh, where you're sorry. wrong, Peter. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. You got me there. There. But that's all I got for you on the PC. Do front. you guys ever look at like a computer component, like one of those little green, like, 
I don't even know what you would call like circuit looking things. Oh yeah, that's the motherboard. That's what I think is broken on my PC. Do you ever look at that and just think, how? Like how how, how is this a thing? <laughs> I mean, I look at that and I just look at all the circuits. I'm just like, man, what part of this is actually broken? Because I've had it break multiple times. It's the most fragile part, and because it's so intricate, it's why it's one of the most expensive parts of the PC. I hate it. I hate looking at them at this point because they cost me a lot of money. It's just uh I'm gonna talk more about it later, but uh I watched the Xbox documentary. And they show a lot of like B-roll footage of of like console components and stuff, and talk about making hardware. And it's just unbelievable to me that there are like people that know how this stuff works to the extent that they were able to make one of those things and have it function properly. It's unbelievable. Look at it, and just like all things, science, just as someone who's worked in tech a little bit. Uh, and having to talk to people with way more experience than I do, it all relatively is like the people who came before you just handed down information, and like you didn't have to you like you don't understand it from a ground up level, but you understand enough of how to use it. So, like expertise has just been handed off people slightly, where the revolutionary changes are maybe a handful of people. So, even a lot of professionals out there probably couldn't tell you exactly to a T how all of that comes to be and that makes me feel a little bit better about it otherwise it's just overwhelming to think of as like does someone really know how to just tweak and fun like how every little bit of this thing functions like i don't know can't can't spend too much time on that myself my sales oh well, i haven't said it yet okay well later on the show i'm doing a little uh, sales trivia game and the only reason i'm talking about it now is because i was looking in to a, a certain company that supplies their sales of their games, and I have just found an official archive by said company that dates all the way back to the certain console. So, the trivia game just got turned up a notch. I'm going to quickly create like two or three new questions based off of my new information. Alright, that's a tease. We got a tease for my my topic will somewhat pertain to the Xbox documentary. Peter's will be... Uh game about sales in some way and mark wants to talk about choice games because transistor will be next week if anyone was looking forward to it i am sorry to disappoint you but that's what we do here at the bny gaming podcast we disappoint episode 60 i like a nice round number like that i'm your host own shannon joining me is the dm peter gorski how are you i'm here and i'm not going to disappoint people don't promise that but in the other chair is the Buffalo Bunger. Mark Gorski, how are you? Uh, I, I am doing okay. I've had a couple of beers for this episode, so I'm ready to let loose and talk about these games. I had I had a pretty small, all things considered, glass of wine just because, like, you know, we do these pretty late, and it may be a weekday, but, you know, one alcoholic drink never hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't stand by that statement. It may have hurt someone if someone has been hurt. I am not responsible. But, uh, Mark, did you watch the Nintendo Indie Showcase late, uh, earlier? I caught half of it because I remembered late that it was actually happening. And it was one of, like, people normally don't have the highest expectations unless if you think, 
freaking Hollow Knight Silk Song is going to show up at these things because every it's always trending every time one of these things shows up. It's never there. And usually, at least these Nindy showcases have like a one more thing at the end or any online presentation, any good online presentation kind of has that banger end. But it ended with just like a, a sizzle reel of games we already knew were coming and kind of just really whimpered out at the end. And a couple of titles, some of it is stuff we already knew was coming to Switch, a couple of new stuff that just kind of melds into the the indie space. Like, there's one game I think I hadn't seen before that's called Gunbrella, which is just like this run-and-gun kind of game. It's like Shovel Knight almost. I don't want to say like Shovel Knight, but it seems like it's pretty cool. You run around with a gun, but you also can float around. It's also an umbrella. It's a shield as well. It seems like a cool little action game, I guess. Kind of got like this gritty feel to it as well cartoonish to pixel art of course uh and then there's what is it we are ofk i think it is the one narrative game that's i haven't the pop band i haven't seen any actual footage of that game i haven't seen any of the trailers i just hear people talk about it secondhand and most people don't seem to be impressed but i'll be honest i hear the pitch of like oh it's a game following an indie pop band i'm sure it's going to be like over dramatic and I'm kind of in. I'm like, going to play it. Wanna play game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play it. And I'll at least tell you what it's like. Because at least like if the music is good, that's that's enough to get me through it. Like, the, I, I'm always vocal on here that this game soundtracks can win me over and get me to play a game. Oh, and yeah. And I'm, I love, I love in general, like, uh, musical biopics or musical documentaries or, uh, just fictionalized stories about bands. I mean, I'm I'm always in for a good story about music, and the music obviously has to be good. If this is one of those stories, I'm down for it. Mm-hmm. They said, I don't know if they've said it before, but they said summer is when they're planning to launch the game. If it's a first episode of the whole game, I'm not sure. I think it might be episodic, but I'll, I'll be I think it's episodic. It. Yeah. Uh, I heard about that earlier. I think it's five episodes over five weeks, which is not ideal in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But um, over five I weeks, th- I don't mind. Like, it's not like where Life is Strange 2, for example, that, that game came out and the episodes were just so sporadic. I feel like I forgot about that game and played it like a year after the final episode came out. Like, at least week after week, if I don't have to buy every episode, of course, like individually, I don't know how you feel about that, but like that seems fine. If you buy it all in one, you come back to it next week. How do you feel? Um, That would probably be preferred, but also at the same time, if you're doing episodic, you kind of want to give people the option, don't you? You'll like, you want to give people the option to duck out after one episode. Fair. Unless if the first episode was like a free demo kind of thing. If it's five episodes, like I could totally see that being a thing. I know uh, Tell Me Why had the same release schedule, but there's only three episodes for that. I don't think you had to buy them. Uh, I don't know if you had to buy them episodically because I played it with Game Pass. So I don't know the the full facts about that one, but I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of those games just kind of have the free first episode, but I don't know. Did you Did you ever finish Tell Me Why? No, I did. The, we did the first two episodes. We had a friend come and visit, and we played it on an Xbox. But only two episodes were out at the time, and we told ourselves, "Oh, when we're all together again, we'll finish it." And nobody like was super invested by the end of the second episode. We all thought we would be because we really trusted the studio, but uh, no, it was fine. I, I, if I were to like, if someone were to spoil the third episode for me, I wouldn't be so 
bothered by it maybe i'll go back to finish it with these friends we're all online now trying to figure stuff out so maybe that's a game we tackle but it's not one i i would say is like a must play it was it was okay yeah i thought that was the case no one ever really seen that hot in that game mm-hmm. but um i have a random question before we get into topics if you had to list one game that you've played before that you would have an itch to replay this year, what would it be? It's not a binding answer. Any game? Like the game that I'm itching to replay the most of any game? Yes. It's Red Dead Redemption 2. That might be my answer as well. Peter, do you want more thinking time on this or do you have no, one No, I've mind? got mine. It's Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh! Wow. My God. Not out of a sense of, oh boy, I missed this game. I never played the Remind DLC before, and I have found myself, you know, in my darkest moments lately going, what if Kingdom Hearts 3 can save me from myself? And then, you know, with the power of friendship and the power of light, that game has shown me truly anything is possible. So, I'm, you know, I want to see if. I, if there's any Kingdom Hearts love left in me, I want to try one more time. Well, I think if you do. I want to watch you play that, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I I do. I think it would be good content if you replayed Kingdom Hearts three. Um, I have I have two answers that are kind of cheating because one of them that I think I even mentioned last episode was that I really want to replay Red Dead two, and Mark just said that. But the cheating one that I just, I really have an itch for that I also think I mentioned last episode, so I'm just repeating myself, is playing the Stanley Parable with the Ultra Deluxe. That game is just so special. And I'm so happy to hear that this Ultra Deluxe version like actually changes stuff up enough to make it worth playing that I, I just really want to play it. Um, let's get into topics. My topic. I mainly want to talk about midnight releases and conventions because one of my main takeaways from this Xbox documentary power on that Peter gave a whole synopsis for back when it came out is that they really put in emphasis on like their midnight launches like seeing footage i don't know why i wasn't even of an age to be a part of this but when i see footage of like the halo 3 midnight launches and just how excited people are it like borderline makes me emotional it reminds me why i like this medium in the first place yes And And as as cheesy as that might be, that is just like, those are people who they would not, they wouldn't be anywhere else in the goddamn world that night. That is where they are meant to be. They have to be there. Come hell or high water. They're meant to like, no, that Halo 3 midnight release footage. When I saw it, I thought, my God, I was 10 years old when this was being filmed. Makes me wish I was older that day so that I could be a part of something. Those people are going to remember that day for the rest of their lives. Um, the, I think it was probably my two favorite parts of this documentary were, as we've talked about before, how open they are about their failures, I think is great. Um, 
nothing really surprised me in this documentary because I feel like I've heard it all secondhand at this point since it came out. Did you like Don Matrick not owning up to his mistakes? Yeah. Also, I mean, this might be a little mean, but Don Matrick looks like he's been like hit by a train compared to what he looked (laughs) like. Right. I mean, compared to what he looked like when he was revealing the Xbox One, like I didn't think he was that old, but like he's aged. Uh, I mean, it's been about eight years or so. Well, he's brought like two he's massive. Like 15. He's brought two massive corporations to their knees, and it really takes a lot out of you. That's very fair fast. enough. Yeah, but I can believe it. Um, a lot of screen time for the dude from Attack of the Show. I was surprised about that because I I don't see that guy anywhere else. But they had a ton of interviews with him. Um. I liked Jeff Keeley's contribution to it, actually. I, one of my favorite parts about it is just hearing about the creation of that the, the console itself and how just like in the trenches those guys were and the political shitstorms at Microsoft. They had to maneuver to get this thing even built in the first place. And I texted one of our group chats about this when I watched the episode, I obviously knew there was a red ring episode and I might say this every single time the red ring comes up, but it is just unfucking believable that that happened. Yep. Just unbelievable. Such a huge oversight. And they, they even say that when they were manufacturing consoles, it was not red rings that were happening necessarily, but as they were testing them before getting them all packed up, it was about a 40% fail rate and they were still shipping the console. And then, I mean, ultimately the, those first batches of consoles for the first like two years or so, um, I, I mean, borderline a 100% fail rate, like over 90%. Um, it just feels like everyone you know who had a 360 early on had the red ring. And they say as much in the documentary. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that 40% fail rate, like as someone who's done QA before, I think like, okay, that 40% fail rate is like people who are testing in like the span of like a couple of weeks. And then it hits the 90% just like after extended use beyond what they they were saying. So like it was it was inevitable, especially because it's literally just like Plastic is melting all over the motherboard of the console. Like Yes, and I actually like I kind of chuckled to myself because I don't know if uh your guys' mom ever did this, but my mom did it all the time. Where and my mom can still do it. It can be like the car radio or uh or the TV and you like turn it off and on quickly or something, and it's like, oh, don't do that, you'll break it. Like that type of reaction. And I've always thought that's ridiculous. Like, the, this won't break that. Um, I, I think there is some kind of truth to it. Is it likely? No. But, like, there is some sort of feature of just how the circuitry well, works. The I've thing is, is that though. that is how the red ring was happening. The The motherboard couldn't handle, like, the temperature differences that were happening when it was turned off and on. Oh. Yeah. But that um, was melting. I just assumed it was just extended play, the heat inside the console. That's it. Yeah, no, and I, I'm surprised they didn't talk about it at all. Um, do you guys remember the towel trick? Oh, yeah, oh. we tried that. 
I don't remember this. Do tell. Do tell. I, it, oh, yeah, go ahead, Mark. It was a strategy where you like wrapped your console in a towel, and the whole point was to actually overheat your console to the point that it would actually like reset itself or something. Mark, um, I remember it worked brief, on occasion. I remember a brief time where the 360 was in mom and dad's room, and it was sitting in like a dresser or something. And I think me- our brother had wrapped like a gray towel around it. And I remember that distinctly because I remember thinking. Why is there a towel wrapped around the Xbox? And then later that week, we got red ringed. God. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I, I assumed it was in the towel because it's like, oh, someone didn't want to like get hit by anything in the dresser or drop something out of there in case someone forgot it was in there. That's where my go-to is with that. Yeah, no. It, it was a legitimate like YouTube tutorial about uh, attempting to fix the red ring. Damn, okay. It was, it was a pretty well-known one. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about here. Um, I, I just want to talk about some of our different midnight release or convention experiences because of how well this documentary just showed the community and the joy around everything. And it got me thinking about how much I, I do miss those midnight releases, even though I never went to anything that was on the level of say, like a huge halo launch, but at the same time, like I've been to quite a few and it kind of feels like it's never going to happen again, which is disappointing. Um, so let's reminisce for a bit. Mark, do any uh, midnight launch experiences or convention experiences stand out to you as like something that was just really nice to be a part of? The conventions are usually just binary, but I've only been to like, I've been to PAX, which is a big thing. I was at... Oh, there's some music festival I've been to back in Florida as well that's revolved around games. And those are always kind of cool to go to, but PAXs are usually more of a commercial kind of convention, so you don't really see as strong of the fan love, more so just like companies that here come participate or go to a panel of people you like who are also there. But the and the category for midnight releases, I have a lot, a lot of stories actually to talk about. I know you guys know about it, but fans at home won't know about it. But back in college, uh, for a lot of the minute releases we would really participate with me and friends, we wouldn't just go to, like, get the game or anything. We'd turn it into a festival, and we would, like, put a CD together, uh, like, for a lot of Nintendo games, whether it was, like, Smash uh, Smash 4 was one that came out, I remember. That was a huge one we did. We did a couple of these, but we had all, a, a CD put together for uh, whatever game was kind of coming out, and I'd be blasting it out of my car, with all my windows down right in front of the GameStop we'd be going to. We kind of have like these posters we'd put together for it as well. Like we'd make a whole event uh, just to really kind of amp it up and do something fun at the event. And it all started because I think it was Sonic Lost World on the Wii U was coming out the same night as I think Assassin's Creed in a Battlefield. But they weren't doing a midnight release for Sonic. Uh, they were doing it for the other two games, and I said, "Why don't we like go there and like actually like try to like support Sonic?" I remember you doing this. Yeah, I think I faintly do. I have definitely forgotten this <laughs> over time. Yeah, didn't and... you guys like make signs and stuff? Oh yeah, we did. I, I I don't know who still has the signs, if anyone, but we made a a really uh silly sign where we specifically even spelled. Okay. It was an accident, I think. We spelled worlds wrong on the side. Like, we had one job, and we spelled the worlds wrong. Sonic Lost World or Last <laughs> World. 
uh and we were there like kind of like campaign just like we want sonic we want to get this game funny thing no one who went none of my friends who went to that event has played sonic lost world or owns it nobody bought the game nobody actually got it um actually no maybe somebody did maybe my friend Kyle. i like don't remember the sonic game at all like you're saying this name and you're i not have supposed no to. idea it wasn't what you're very, talking about it was a wii it was, u exclusive it was yeah. very no it was nothing to write home about You've maybe seen some art because it had some DLC that was like crossing over with uh, some Nintendo games. I know there's a Legend of Zelda DLC where Sonic's wearing a tunic, like the 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 Link tunic, of course. And I, I really, I'm looking it up right now, and I really don't even recognize the box art. I really? I feel like I haven't seen this game before. How about if you look up the uh, the villains of that game, the Sinister Seven, I think is what they're called. Maybe I those guys are the most iconic part of that game because they're just these ugly monsters that just don't. No, they're not. No, they're not. Sega just keeps trying to push them and is acting like they're a big deal. They never were. I mean, the deadly six. That's what it is. Okay, I said Sinister Seven. That's I think Spider Man actually. Pardon me. Sorry, Spider Man fans. MCU fans out there probably very sad with me right now. Mark, Um, that that would be the Sinister Six. Yeah, exactly that too. I just played Spider-Man. What am I talking about? I know this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what, where did you leave off before I interrupted you? Um, I just remember sitting on top of my car at this this release for Assassin's Creed and Battlefield, holding these Sonic signs. It's like, where's Sonic? Come on, give us Sonic. There's a huge line, and people are looking at me like I'm the, such a crazy person for doing this. I'm blasting a CD of Sonic music. A couple of guys who are not even here for the midnight release who just can hear my car in this, like, parking lot. I'm just like, what's going on over here? Like, this seems like a whole event. It's like, we're here for Sonic. I have to, I have to explain to these normie guys who have no idea what's happening here. It's like, oh, I'm here to get Sonic. Uh, and they're not <laughs> selling it to me. <laughs> and even as later like where this trans this started off as a joke because we thought it would be funny and then we're just like what if we just did this for other games that we like because the people who were running the game stuff thought it was great the people who were waiting in line was a mixed bunch i feel like some of them thought it was cool but i think another half of them also were very annoyed with us and those people were like I, I didn't care. I didn't want them to get their game if they weren't going to be very enthused with what we were, what we were doing, how we were celebrating the game. <laughs> yeah, fuck their fun. Yeah, screw them. Uh, we didn't do it for... Smash is the one that comes to mind the most, because I remember uh, for Smash 4, I think, just playing Smash 3DS, because that was out a month or two earlier, just in line, and everyone is just basing each other uh, on their 3DSs at Smash, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. But this, a lot of these, like, one of the biggest cons to this was that I've seen a lot of these these videos where, like, granted, I haven't seen the Xbox uh, documentary here, but a lot of these kind of uh, clips people will show from, like, the, these old launches are, like, it's, like, party indoors, but this is everyone standing outside waiting. And depending on where you are, that might not be great. We were in Orlando, Florida area, so, like, it was never bad weather for us to be waiting outside. But granted, also... 2022 different time for midnight releases but when i was at the midnight release uh for pokemon legends arceus and elden ring we had to wait outside it was fucking cold so nobody was ready to party everyone just wanted to get their game and get out but there was a lot of people for pokemon legends arceus like people are still maybe for the right game lining up for it elden ring there was not many people for it but obviously elden ring 
critical hit. We all know how many copies it sold. I'd be curious to know how many people got it physically versus digitally. And if the digital sales of game bo- games booming is a part of what's killing the midnight release. Or I don't know. But I mean, it is. It, I, 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 digital games are holding the smoking gun, Mark. That's objectively what's killing them. Yeah. No, but also, I'm not sure if you guys remember that, like, the death blow might have just been this pandemic thing that, like, kind of destroyed at least a full year and a half of our lives. That's true. I forget about that sometimes. So. <laughs> um, um, we both said, um, who's going to talk? <laughs> I can do it. Midnight releases were a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't I never saw anyone bring the fire like me and my group of friends did for our game stuff. People really would just show up, maybe play games with the friends of theirs that were there, but like uh that's that's as far as it ever went. Uh I say as far as it went. Uh like, like I was always hoping maybe that we'd get a rival gang at some point going on where they would be bringing their own Oh, that would have been awesome. Their, that would have been incredible. But no, no one ever did it. There was a couple of people maybe I maybe recognized from Street Pass in college. Like, that was... Have I ever talked about Street Pass and why I loved it in college so much? Um, I'm not sure if you if you gave the full story when we argued about Street Pass. It's just spending... Especially because I was in an area where there was a lot of nerds. A lot of, a lot of gamers in the area. So, going to classes regularly on campus, like, you you will see the same people every now and then. And Street Pass also will keep track of how many times you have passed certain people as well. So, like, there's people who I've never met where I've passed at least, like, 50 times. And the more times you pass somebody in all of the mini games that are relevant, they are stronger because you've passed them. So, like, these people, I, I know some of them more especially in the Street Pass universe because of the two years in college uh, where I was constantly passing them. And sometimes at the midnight releases, I'd see a couple of people as well. Just from Street Pass, uh, a, a fantastic uh, tool for a setting just like that. But uh, I, I would love to go back to midnight releases and keep doing that again if I had the crew who wanted to participate like that. Like those, those were a lot of fun for us, even though like not everybody was necessarily participating. I think with Smash, that was outside of outside of what we were doing at the time. I think they ran a tournament. Like they opened a copy of Smash early and actually did a small tournament for people, and it wasn't very organized. Of course, I did not win. I was very upset about that. They did free for all. They were cheating. They didn't have the rules I needed to really kind of thrive, like most people probably would have wanted to thrive with. Of course, but uh, that that was fun. Uh, the I haven't been to anything huge like that. I don't know what your guys' experiences in contrast to mine is, though. I really. I, I do enjoy a lot of those stories. I'll go next because I probably have the least exciting ones. I I assume Peter has some stories between either midnight launches or just like convention stuff. I have both of many. But um, my main experience with midnight launches is a normie thing. <laughs> uh, me and my brother used to go to the Madden midnight launch each year for like a a few years in a row and i i remember growing up and madden similar to like a halo used to be like a huge deal when it released and there was this whole ad campaign about uh madden holiday and it was coming out 
Actually, no, I don't think it was coming out near Christmas that year, but they had like a Christmas themed commercial with a jingle and I was just like obsessed with it as as an eight year old. I'm pretty sure my oldest brother and his friends, I don't know if they went midnight or what, but like my mom like made them cookies for whatever they did for this. Um, I just thought that's a cool thing. And by the time I was going to these midnight releases, it was nowhere near that, but it was definitely fun, like, waiting outside late at night uh, in Buffalo, big Bill's town, obviously, and everyone always wants to talk about that if they can. And if you're all waiting for Madden, you assume that you all have that interest in mind. So a lot of Bill's talk going on. There would always be, like, one, one like, older dude that would being like super baggy clothes and like a sideways hat or something. And this type of guy would always like walk into the store and see the demo playing and just be like, man, same fucking game every year. (laughs) And it would, it would just be kind of a funny (laughs) thing because (laughs) we all know it. We all know it would be the same fucking game every year. Yet we're still there buying it and nothing's changed on that front. Um, Maybe this has nothing to do with the midnight launch. I just think it's a funny story. Uh, There was, I don't, I don't know if it's still structured like this, but there was a GameStop that was attached to a Moe's. Oh my God. That sounds incredible. And now this is not like a special Moe's story. It was that I had a friend who worked at Moe's at the time and I got out of my car for the midnight launch to see him in his car hot boxing with all of his employee friends. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, I'm just here to get mad at <laughs> Um and that's just a funny little story. But uh the only other one that I remember really well is Pokemon X and Y. And that was not an official midnight launch by any means because I was with Peter and I think I was with someone else. James. Okay, it was James. Um, And we were just at Walmart and did we plan on like being at Walmart at, at midnight or did we just so happen to be there? No, we... I remember because we were in high school at the time, me and James left some big, I forget what these called, but a big bonfire at our school. And we decided to stop being social for the night, go pick you up. And we had pre-ordered our copies at Walmart. And I remember a bunch of people were standing around and it's midnight, 1210, 12:20. Like we were all started asking like other random Walmart employees who don't work in the back. Like, where are your copies of the game? <laughs> like it's it's past midnight we're all still here like what the fuck's going on and he's like I-, I don't know i'll come find someone and i remember this one guy kept like rounding back and forth to the front to the back he's like we can't find them we don't know where they are we know they've been delivered and i remember the guys like running down with a big cardboard box with a bunch of copies and then i was just clapping and making an ass of myself at a young age <laughs> but that's all I remember of, of that night. I I remember that too. I I remember we took a really, really nerdy picture of like our three DSs lined up together. 
I wish I had that. That sounds like a really nice photo. I for mean, uh, this was in 2013. For those unaware, of the timing of our of our ages pro- probably was a nice photo, but it was definitely nerdy. Um, You're recording a video game podcast. You realize, yeah, that, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, the, nerdy things just hit differently when you realized you were doing them in high school. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. You just I don't know what the hell you're saying. Owen is saying I, he I, hates nerds in high school. That's what he's yeah. saying. <laughs> if he could go back and bully no, himself, no, he would have. Well, maybe. There's just like an added <laughs> an added cringe factor to it. Uh, I, I can't be the only one that looks back at a high school moment and thinks, like, wow, kind of cringe. I mean, I definitely got some painful high school memories, but like... None of them, I mean, I don't blame None, none of them involved taking pictures of your 3DS. You would have gladly done that. If I took a picture of my 3DS, I'd done it with pride. Like, there's a period of time in my life where I was really a big 3DS hater, but that was, like, when the Switch launched. And now I regret most of what I've ever said. Like, the bad thing. You were a 3DS, 3DS hater when the Switch launched? Why did that happen? Because, because Nintendo I was kept developing on. games for the 3DS when it was time to move on. It was time to move on. We needed more Switch games early on. It's like, let's go full. We need every all the marbles in this bucket right now. We need more Switch games. And then they did that, so it was okay. And now they're shutting down 3DS, and I feel like a fool for all the bad things I've ever said about the 3DS in that period of time. When are they shutting it down? June of 2023, right? Or is that, am I thinking of the Activision deal? I think it's Q1, like towards the end of uh, quarter one next year is when it is. Okay. I okay. Think. I guess I think it's March. I think that's it for my midnight launch experience. I, I It's more kind of a a category of thing where I see what fun other people had back in the day. And it's like, man, I would have liked to have that fun. But Peter, I know you've had some fun before. Please. I hope I've had fun in this mortal life. And some of that fun comes from all the Pokemon midnight releases I've been to. Now, obviously we've, we went to the one that you, just mentioned back in 2013 for gen six but me joe and james ended up making for a few years i don't think we'll be doing it again if we did it be this year but we ended up starting a tradition of whenever a new generation of pokemon would come out we did this for seven and eight we would just take the weekend off of work starting from that thursday night they would come over we would watch a pokemon movie and just be in that zone and then we would go to a GameStop that's now near where i work actually and we would just pre-order the game we'd hang out in the parking lot and we would just see this long fucking line of pokemon people all just there for the same thing and obviously pokemon games they usually release in november so it's freezing it's absolutely freezing but we still did it and we would just come back with the games and we'd stay up all night. We'd all have our own we'd all be in our own little corners. And then for Gen 8, we were all on different TVs. And they were just My opinions on those games aren't the best, but the experience and the nights of Pokemon, I fucking loved them, man. I fucking loved them. Can just... you comment real quick? 
on whether or not you loved the way that Joe would play through the games. All right, well, if I, if I can finally get this on record. <laughs> so Joe was the pick-me girl whenever we were playing through these Pokemon games where he was someone, for reference, he is someone who, what, beat Mario Odyssey in like six, seven hours? He beat it in a day. I, I doubt it was that light but it was probably like in the eight to ten range which well, the, still horrifies me the best part about this is he only listens to it and he can't defend himself so he can say whatever he want to say and there's, <laughs> no, there's no stopping us and that's exactly what i'm going to do so he is a man who already plays games in a masochistic way who just likes having the worst experiences that the game devs couldn't even fathom so he is just blitzing Gen Eight, Gen Seven. He was okay. Gen, he ruined for those who don't know. Gen Eight is my least favorite generation of Pokemon, and it is purely on the shoulders of this man who just couldn't not. He he physically could not rush through this game as we were playing it this night. And James for like half of the night, because again we stay up throughout the whole night typically. And for half of it, James and I were on one side, and Joe was on the other. And every 20 minutes or so, he'd just be like, guys, guys, I found a new Pokemon. You got to see this. And James would get up and I wouldn't because, you know, I didn't want it spoiled for me. But then they'd start like describing them in detail. So I'd be able to identify a picture of them. And then Joe decided he'd be nicer about it later on. So then he ch- he turned his TV so that I couldn't see it. But he would still do the, whoa, that's crazy, man. Holy shit, I can't believe it. Oh, I, I-, I won't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. James, if you want to see it, you can come see it. And then James would walk over and be like, whoa, that's so cool. It's like, guys, you're essentially still doing it. <laughs> Fucking stop. But he didn't. And then by the time we get to, like, the sunrise, like, well, we all go to bed, like, like 5, 30, 6. You might say a little later. We all wake up like, around, like, 9. And they stay over for all of Friday, too. And we keep playing all of Friday. And I swear, by, like, early afternoon Friday, after we get back from lunch, Joe has beaten like the third or fourth gym and he's just rushing through the game and james and i we're taking our time we're smelling the roses we're sitting down and we're looking at the sky going oh this is the first pokemon game on switch this is an event and joe's just running like his life depends on it like a bat out of hell and it hurt my enjoyment significantly hurt my enjoy i just he was just explaining so much and all. One of the most, one of my favorite aspects of a new Pokemon game is organically f- discovering the new Pokemon myself. And when I have him just screaming from the other room going, here's the next Pokemon. Here's where I found it. Here's its typing. Every 20 minutes sucks a lot of fun out of the room. And if somehow there is a scenario where for Gen 9 this year, I significant, for very obvious reasons, I doubt it will ever happen again. But if the planets align and there is somehow a situation where James, Joe, and I are doing a Pokemon night for Gen 9 at the end of this year, I am going to be setting a very strict rule of, Joe, your television is muted. (laughs) You are not (laughs) doing this again. I have beaten every other Pokemon generation of my own volition and happily done so. I had to have Joe beat Gen 8 for me. Because I just couldn't do it. Because I had hoped hoped that I would play online with them and get into it, but I was just so turned against Gen 8 that it's like, I don't even want to look at you anymore. I don't want to play you. I have to ask now, Peter. At what point in Gen 8 did you stop playing? I... 
the sixth gym? Oh my goodness! Blame him. Blame him. It's it, it is it. Joe Joe consciously did this to me, and he's lived with it for years. He's lived with it for three years now. I just want to add on to this really quickly. Mm. I don't need to go through all of the events of the Mario Odyssey situation, but if I recall, Peter, we bought Mario Odyssey. On the same night, you already had a Switch, right? Yes, we bought it the night you also got your Switch. We bought it at a random Walmart. We came back to my place. Yes. And I remember that as like a borderline religious experience of like, oh my God, this game is fucking incredible. Gives me the same feelings that Astros does. It's just like, this is just like joy and my love of video games put together in this goddamn adorable platformer that just feels like it's the pinnacle of the genre and i also had the high going of having my shiny brand new switch and all of those feelings combined with the quality of the game i mean mario odyssey is one of my favorite games ever and then uh i mean i don't know if it was a few weeks or a few months later joe gets his switch gets mario odyssey and he beats it in a day he beats it in a day this this just wonderful world to live in for short bursts he just he crushed it 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 was all of the intrigue all of the magic just gone for him within one day you ever see the pictures of like turtles choking on straws in the ocean and you're like oh my god who could do that to them that's what joe did to mario odyssey (laughs) That's what Joe did to Mario Odyssey. Uh, J- Mario Odyssey is like choking on the like plastic wrap that keeps all the cans together. And it's just like, Joe, stop. What are you doing to it? He's like, I don't care. It's whatever. It's what I do. And I just, I don't look at him the same ever since. Is Joe an avid fan of Mario Odyssey? I don't think so. Oh my God. I, I Although, although. I have a theory, and maybe he'll respond to me privately, that he started turning on it the more shit me and Peter gave him. Oh, I'm as sure as that as the sun is hot and water is wet. Well, water Um, isn't wet, Peter. Water is water. We're not having this discussion again. Okay. Uh, That's enough Joe talk, though. Do you have uh, one to two more stories you want to give, Peter? already like 47 minutes or like 46 minutes in. I have a lot more. How more like do you want me to end there? Do you want me to do any more or um do you have a convention story you want to give? I got some RTXs. I've got Super Smash Con from last year. I have ones from a little indie college con that I don't want to talk about. So what do you want? RTX or Super Smash Con? Uh let's do RTX. All right. Do you want 2015, 2016, or 2017? There were three. You're giving me too many choices here. Uh, let's do your final year. Final. Oh, boy. Final year. Usual stick. James and I have our fly. I'm not going to go beat by beat, but for those who do not know, before I continue, RTX used to be the annual convention that the... Uh, Entertainment group Rooster Teeth used to put on in the heart of Austin, Texas in the middle of summer. And let me tell you, you don't know heat 
until you are in Austin, Texas in July. It is 100 degrees every day. You walk outside and you're just sweating. You're like, you're losing pounds the longer you are outside. You're sweating that goddamn much. Although DC last year, it had it going for me. But anyway. And what I loved about RTX is that just for an entire weekend, you are going to this massive building with tens of thousands of people who all love the same shit you do. One of my favorite parts about RTX is James and I, we would leave Buffalo Niagara International, and I believe typically we would fly to Chicago for our connecting flight. And, you know, the Buffalo flight, it would be like 7, 8 a.m., something like that. So it's, you know, airplane's dead. Not a lot of people going to Austin. Like, no, not a lot of people going to Chicago that time. So it's kind of a small plane. Everyone's just kind of keeping them themselves. But the connecting flight in Chicago to Austin, we are always, once you, once we find our flight and we sit down, you're looking at dozens of people with, like, Achievement Hunter shirts, kind of funny shirts, Funhouse shirts, Ruby, RVB, other video game and anime clothing. It's just like we're with our people. And then we all get on the plane and you just hear everyone talking to like you just hear dozens of like young adults and teenagers making new friends, meeting new people for the first time, just organic conversations striking up all throughout this plane chamber because the vast majority of these people are your people. You're all going to the same place. You all know why you're going there. Jay, I mean, obviously we don't connect. We haven't kept in touch with any of them. But James and I would always be talking with people on the flight to Austin. Because by year three, it's just the thing you expected. And it'd be weird if that didn't happen. And it was just, it, obviously not to level, but it did have a, like bits of that Halo 3 midnight release of like, there's no other, there's no place we'd all rather be. And where we're all going right now. And we all we've never met each other, but we've all we all know enough about each other that we're all comfortable talking with and hanging out with each other on this like three to four hour flight. So then obviously you get there and we get to the hotel, it's hot as sin. And it's just a weekend of panels with the people who make all this content you're really into. You just you're walking around. Oh my god. I mean there's so many RTX stories, but I got to try to live it myself here. You'd be walking at a convention, all of a sudden you see, oh, there's Bernie Burns. Holy shit, I just see him in the flesh. It's weird just seeing these people in person. You see, oh, there's the creatures. Oh, there's Funhouse. Oh, there's these individual Twitch streamers I don't really give a shit about. There was a year where, and oh man, if only I could have, if only I had cared more at the time. Actually... I'm going to take that back because I'm not sure if it was Halo Wars 2. Halo Wars 2 might have, like, a demo of Halo Wars 2 might have been on the show floor for 2017. I'm not entirely sure, so I'm, I'm going to retract that statement. But I know James was in line for some Halo game for a time. And then you're walking around, then 2017, I remember walking around, I was like, holy shit, there's Andy Serkis. Like, I just... Oh, wow. See, yeah, Andy Serkis was there for some reason. I'm just walking by him, and I remember seeing him because that was around the time where, like, Black Panther was filming. It's just, holy shit, I just walked by Andy Serkis. And I remember there was a fucking time when I'm walking through the streets of Austin. James, I don't know. James and I got separated. I think he was, like, finishing up some panel he was going to. And then we were going to a, a big show that Screw Attack put on. It was, like, Screw Attack, Cross, kind of funny, Cross, like, Gerard the Completionist, Cross, one or two other groups. And I was walking there. 
and I'm just on my phone listening to something, and I turn around, and Greg Miller is, like, standing right behind <laughs> me, and I do, like, a quick double take, but I, I don't want to say anything, and then he starts, and then Greg starts talking to me, he's like, I know that, look, I know you know who, I, I know you recognize me, and I'm like, you're right, I do, I'm caught off guard, he's like, hey, how's it going, you coming to watch this, I'm like, actually, yeah, I am, and then Greg and I start talking for a bit, I go back to my phone, then I turn to my right, and it's Tim Geddes, and then I turn to my left, and, like, Nick Scarpino, and one by one, they all just start showing up, and I'm kind of like, obviously, I'm not having, like, a heart-to-heart with them, but I'm talking to all three of them, I'm just talking about kind of funny, I'm talking to, like, talking to them on their way to the show, and it's just little moments like that, that you can't replicate that. It's just pure magical moments where I just have to be walking down the street at the exact same time that they were, and Greg happened to notice that I did a quick double take, and instead of just thinking to himself, oh, that guy wants to be a fan, he ends up talking to me, and we end up shooting the shit for a bit as we're, I'm going to go watch them get drunk and play Mario Party with all these different YouTube groups, and we have a lot more show to put on, so I'll just end it there. There's a lot more I could say, even about, especially about RTX 2017, but, uh, I don't watch Rooster Teeth anymore. I don't regret. I, I don't miss. The, I don't like what they are now. But goddamn, if they ever announce like we're doing one final RTX, like Rooster Teeth, we're closing our doors, but we're going out with a bang. We're doing one final RTX. James and I have promised no matter how old we are, we will go. We will go to that final RTX. We'll get Gus's fried chicken one more time. I will leak from my nose and eyes and have the waitresses ask if I need help. One more time. Because those are some of the, my favorite weekends ever. Same with Super Smash Con last year. I just love weekends where you're just you're surrounded by your people. You don't have to have a care in the world about what's going on back home. You just, you just dive deep into a pool of your favorite hobbies and entertainment. And there's just fucking nothing like it. That's awesome. I, I mean, I... I have this like nostalgia going lately just in general for for things that feel a little older like being off our phones a little less being more in communities like that and I I mean what you just described is the exact thing that I hope to experience again one day I'm I'm sure it will happen but uh when it comes to the midnight launch stuff maybe it's a little less likely uh, that can end that topic. I I think that was fun though. Um, Peter, you have your sales game that you want us to play. No, hi everybody. From the creators of Miyamoto's Arc comes the next installment in fun video game quizzes. Now this next one, it's, it's nothing to write home about. You know, it's just it's just a simple trivia game. You know, I just it's been too long since we've you know, had a bit of a competition during the podcast. And with the big new, I would say big, but, you know, with the reported sales numbers of Nintendo and PlayStation yesterday, had me think of that. I wanted to bring this up in, or bring this into this week's episode in some fashion, but I didn't just want to be like, so what did you guys think of PlayStation 5 selling another 2.1 million units? What do you think is going to happen with the chip short? That's boring. I want to make a game out of it. So I've decided... I've got a bunch of different lists up on my phones of different categories of whether it be hardware sales, game sales, franchise sales, sales between the big corporations. And I'm going to ask these two lovely contestants questions. 
what we're going to do is I will ask a question, and then you will both type the letter Q into Discord. And whichever one is, whichever Q is recorded first gets the first guess on the question. If your first answer is wrong, it immediately goes to whoever did not get the Q in. Does this make sense? It makes sense. Now, I'm not, I, I could, we could go longer if you guys want to. I don't have that many. I've got a, I've tried to go for a couple head scratchers, but you know, first time doing this, so I just want to make you know, it's some of these going to be a bit safer questions, or maybe they're safer, maybe they're safer to me because I have the information in front of me, and then you guys will just be scratching your heads going. Ugh. And what I was referencing earlier is I went to get the uh, sales numbers for some Switch games, and I go on Nintendo's website, and they have the history of sales for Wii games, DS games, Wii U games, and 3DS games as well. I had no idea they kept that information, let alone open to the public. So now I'm definitely going to be pulling from this too, possibly, depending on how long this goes. Okay. Um, and we don't we don't know what these questions are going to be like. They just have some sort of they're somehow related to sales of something. Oh, and are you Correct. ready? Yes, I am ready. Peter, I have Mark, one question you... for you before we start. What's that? What does the winner get? You motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What? Pride. Pride. We're playing for pride here, okay. and that's fine. Let's see. Where do you want to start? You want to, if you guys feeling... Rules on the queue. It has to come after you ask the question, correct? Yeah, or, uh, well, or... obviously, yeah, because they also... If you guys don't know the question, maybe you're not as you know, maybe you're not as eager to hit the queue right away. Also, you can't go longer than thirty seconds. I will time you if you start taking too long. Okay, thirty seconds might even be too long in my yeah. opinion. Twenty-five seconds. Twenty. Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen okay. seconds. That's what we'll settle on. All right, Mark, are you ready? Uh, I think I am. We guys feeling more uh, hardware or software to start us off? Hardware. Software. Oh, hardware. shit. All right. In order, who can tell me the ranking in terms of first, second, third, fourth, the rankings of the PlayStation family of console sales? Owen got first. Owen, please tell me. The order from last to first. From last to first. Yes. So last will be PS5. Second last will be PlayStation 1. Third last PlayStation 3. Then PS4, then PS2. Owen is incorrect. Fuck, I know Mark, what I messed up there. It's your chance. From PS last to first, give me the order. This you said not including PS5, right? No, it is. Okay, you said top four. Yeah, well, he included PS5, so now PS5 is included. Hmm. I'm gonna say almost the same thing Owen said. Really, I'm gonna say PS3, PS1, PS2, PS4. 
PS5 at the bottom. Wait, say that one more time. Uh, with PS5 being at the bottom, I'm gonna go. Yeah, go bottom from up. PS5, PS3, PS1, PS2, PS4. No, no, I mean, hold on, hold on. Hey, no, 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 I made a mistake. Loose. I made a mistake. I made one mistake. Okay, mm. the final, the final answer. You're getting one last answer. shot. Say it from PS the beginning, and this is it. Five at the bottom, then PS3, then PS1, then PS4, and then PS2. Is that your final answer? That is the final answer. That is correct. Fuck. Owen. Oh, Damn. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is correct. All right. Mark gets the first one. Moving onto software. Who can tell me, out of you two, what was the number one best selling game in March 2022? Mark, you got the cue. Uh, best selling game in March 22. March. Of 2022 is Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Mark is incorrect. Oh, and the question goes to you. Um, I have two ideas here. I think I should just go with the set, uh, the safe one, and it would be Elden Ring. Oh, and it's correct. Ah, damn it! I'm thinking new releases. Kirby in the Forgotten Land got the third place of the March 2022 NPD sales numbers. So right now we are one to one. We are going to go a little bit back in time for this next one. Do you guys remember the Nintendo DS? No, tell me about it. I do. Which I don't the... want to hear about it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you have to hear about the games. One of these four is the best-selling DS game of all time. One of these four. I'm about to name them. New Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario 64 DS. Animal Crossing Wild World. And Nintendogs. Who can... Shit. Yeah, uh, Mark, you got it first. Which uh, of those is the best-selling DS game of all time? New Super Mario Brothers. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. Mark is correct. New Super Mario Bros. ended at 30.80 million units sold. The closest was Nintendogs in second place at 23.96 million. I would have said Nintendogs. Yeah, so I, I would have gotten it wrong. Yeah. Currently, it is two to one, Mark. We move on. Now let's go back and look at the best of the best, the greats, some of the best-selling games of all time. My question for you both is this. Which of these franchises is not included in the top 10 best-selling games of all time? Okay, Tetris. you mean like top 10 or like... Not, top 10 best-selling the... games of all time. I'm naming okay. four franchises. One of these franchises is not included in the top 10 best-selling games of all time. Duck Hunt. Tetris. 
Is that it? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 no, no, no. Relax. I'm going through them. I'm going through them. Animal Crossing. Which one? And New Super Mario Brothers. It's just franchise. Just yes. franchise. Top oh. ten best-selling franchises of all time. I'm giving. I... Let me say them one more time. Duck Hunt. New Super Mario Brothers. Animal Crossing. And Tetris. One of these is not in the top 10 best-selling games of franchise of all time. I believe I got it first. Owen did get it first. I'm going to say Animal Crossing. Owen is incorrect. Shit. Mark, hey. it's your turn. It's Duck Hunt. It's Duck Hunt. I overthought it. Animal Ugh. Crossing managed to get in with the help of New Horizons. Bless that game's heart. I, I, okay, yeah. It is three to one. Mark. We should do seven questions if you have yeah. them. I can, even if I don't have them written down, I have five written down. I can easily come up with two more. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. Let's see. Let's take another trip to the past. Anyone remember the Wii U? Unfortunately. I do. I do. It's very good. My question is, which of these games crossed the 10 million units sold on the Wii U? Mario Kart 8, Super Smash Brothers for Wii U, Nintendo Land, and Splatoon. Mark, you got it. Uh, Mario Kart. You are incorrect. Owen? I am going to say... Now, maybe I'm overthinking the wording here. I am going to say Mario Kart and Super Smash Bros. You are both wrong. Fuck. The answer was none the of them. Because None of a, them. Not a single game ever crossed 10 million units sold well, on that Wii that wasn't an option. You cheated. You're a fucking cheater. Did I cheat? You didn't say none of them was an option. I'm thinking there's only multiple choices. You're right. No, answer. you're right. Okay, I'll take the blame on that one. I'll get rid of that question. That doesn't count. I was trying to be clever. I should have included that. That'll, I will take the full blame on that one. I like that question. I did mess it up, though. Fuck. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I like that question, too. I thought I did good. All right, viewers at home, I'm very sorry. I messed that one up. But I promise you, that won't happen again. Oh, but My next question. Does. Mark, I need you to forgive me, okay? I can forgive you, but I don't know if everyone at home could forgive you. My next question. We're going back to hardware. You guys like hardware? Uh, yeah. Not really of the PC variety right now, but yes, it can be cool. Now, what sold better? The original Game & Watch or the Atari 2600? Mark got it. Mark, go ahead. Um, I'm going to say the Game & Watch. Mark is correct. The Game & Watch sold 43.4 million units sold, whereas the Atari 2600 sold 30 million. That's way more than I ever would have guessed for that. I can't believe it. I can't fucking believe it's because the Game & Watch. 
It's the reason. The reason being is that Atari's at the time were so fucking expensive in Game and Watches were not that expensive, so they could sell them that much more. Now we're going back to franchises, and again, uh, some of these are harder than others. I know some of these questions are smaller than others, but you know we gotta you know splice them throughout. Actually, no. I got a better idea. I got a much better idea. We are going back. Actually, we're staying modern to help Owen out. Because he needs a... He needs a bone. So right now it's 4-1? Top... Is that I'm correct? Yes, right? it is. It okay. is currently 4-1. to one. Top 10 Switch games. It's a topic I've spoken of before. And it's one where I think we're all faintly familiar with. Giving Owen a bit of more of a chance here. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck me. I talk about this with you a lot. I don't need to be patronized like this. Which of these is the number nine on the top ten best-selling Switch games of all time? Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, Super Mario Party, Ring Fit Adventure, or... Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. Mark got it. Oh, I didn't realize. Mark, Super which Mario of Party. those it is, is number nine? Party. Mark is incorrect. Owen, which of these then, is the number nine in the current top ten best-selling Switch games? I can read them for you one more time if you want me to. It is not Super Mario Party. Is it Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl? It's Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Fuck. Let's Go Eevee. Shit. Brilliant Where? Diamond and Shining Pearl was the previous ninth place, but after yesterday, it is currently at 14.65 million, while Let's Go is at 14.53. Oh. My. God. Just missed it. Just missed it. So where is Super Mario Party in the list? Super Mario Party is number seven. Okay. A little higher. Wow. Uh, I can't I can't believe I just got screwed like that. Yeah, I thought I see I I thought that one would be more fair because I didn't think Mark had seen the updated numbers. So I thought I was giving I thought I was throwing you a bone here. Yeah, no, I didn't see the updated numbers. I just I figured like, you know, I think let's go might be in the like seven range. And I know Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl is gonna make it, so maybe it's at the tail end here. We're currently at okay. Four. I can. I will try to make up more. I. I'll do. How many more should I do? Because at this point, it's four to one. Owen, do you think there is a? No, con- no. I'm. I'm not coming back. Yeah. We. We can end it here. It's okay. fine. What if we okay. did first to five. First to five is a fair. No. Well, no. We're also asking Peter to make up trivia questions on the fly, and that can be difficult. Okay. So yeah. I, I. I think. I think we've settled it here. I've lost. We'll all remember this day. This is a, I, this is a fun game, Peter. Peter, you're the game guy. Make more games. Well, thank you all for coming. I will own up to not have you know that one question. I should have had that fifth option, but I hope we do this again sometime. On I like an games. episode where you promised not to disappoint. You Mark up showed up. Question. You said fuck. You could have. How did you not get Duck Hunt? How did you not get Duck Hunt? 
I overthought it. I I overthought it. I should have gotten Duck Hunt. I know I should have. But that's but it for me. We may have just played that game, but we've all played games, I think, over the course of this week. And I ask you all, what have you been playing? I'll go first because I have nothing. I barely played video games this last week. Honestly, I spent most of my time outside. I have continued the... uh, Well, I started and have continued the single-player DLC of Dragon Age Origins Awakening, apparently an integral single-player DLC that takes place after the mainline story. And I'm probably about halfway through it. It's an 11- to 12-hour experience. And my only real change of note in terms of from the base game is there's just an inventory, a real inventory system now that you can just comfortably place as many items into as you want at your home base. So now I no longer have to worry about not being able to pick up items. I'm no longer handicapped with my hands tied behind my back in terms of, oh, I've just... I have so much needless crafting supplies that I don't really know why I have it. I haven't crafted at all, but I just get so much of it. And then I'm an hour into a four-hour story mission, and I can't go back, or I don't want to go back because I'm so far into it, is knowing that this chest that holds all of my items is at my homestead and only at my homestead. I can't access it whenever I want. Yes, but it's significantly better than what was in the base game, so I will... I'll take it for what it is. Other than that, I have no other differences or changes of opinion than what I said about Dragon Age Origins last week. So that's really all I've got to say about the games I've been playing. All right, fair enough. Um, Mark, do you feel strongly about something? Do you want to go last? Do you want to go next? I can go last. I've only got one game I really want to talk about. Okay. I have a little more to talk about than I did last week for sure. Uh, am I still fluttering in the wind a little bit? Yeah, kind of. But I did mention how I've been playing Transistor, and I can't give any opinions on that. So that's happening. And the one thing I will say is that because it's a shorter game, it does feel good that I'm I'm just getting through a game, and I'm going to be done with it very soon. The other main game I've been playing is Mafia 1, the remastered version. I meant I think I might have mentioned last week that this was on my short list of something I might play. Um I've been watching this show about the making of The Godfather and it's not very good, but I love The Godfather and weirdly that show did not make me go back and rewatch the movies. It actually kind of made me think like, "Oh, I I kind of want to scratch this itch with the game." And I've seen the visuals of Mafia Remastered and they're beautiful. It is a remaster, though, because getting into the game, it definitely plays fairly PS2. I believe it's PS2. Um, And also, I don't think they redid any of the voice acting. So it's like all these modern models with like really shabby voice acting. And I got over it pretty quickly. But at the same time, it was kind of jarring at first. And I am I think I'm going to continue this game. But I gotta say I'm fairly disappointed. It is very boring. Um I have played Mafia 2. It's a game I enjoyed. I don't think it's perfect by any means. In fact, I think there are a lot of issues with it. But I played quite a bit of it. 
uh, back on the Xbox 360. And I was just kind of hoping for like this to be an early take on like open world. You're a mafia guy. Maybe there's a nice story to go along with it. And that's all I was looking for. I just wanted to be a mafia guy pretty much. And I am getting that feeling. But there is really no open world element to this, which should be fine, except the missions are really boring. Like, I think the last mission I left off at is, uh, you know, you're at the bar late at night and, and Luigi wants you to walk, walk home his daughter, Sarah. There's, there's been some, some no good fellas giving her trouble when she walks home and does Luigi know who knows, but, uh, Sarah is also your sweetheart. So now, now you get to walk your sweetheart home and you get to beat up some guys that give her trouble on the street. It's like, I, I guess this is thirties mafia stuff, but, um, all in all, as far as the engagement of how fun of a mission it is to play, it's just not really there. Um, and I should say, I'm, I think I'm still firmly in like act one of the game. Like I am this guy who was a taxi driver and I'm now a part of this mob family and I'm still kind of establishing myself in that family. So maybe it will end up getting a lot more excited and exciting as it goes on. But I am definitely disappointed right now. It's one of the itches I wanted scratch was just kind of like a triple A story game, the type of game like the the uncharted type of game that I give a lot of shit. I just kind of wanted a nice eight hour version of that. This is technically that, only I would struggle to call it AAA, seeing as it is just like a remaster of a really old game. I just, uh, I do feel like I need to see it through, especially since I played Mafia 2. And I really want to play Mafia 3, because that has a whole lot of other stuff going on. A lot of people say that it can be, it's not like the best playing game but they do such interesting things in the story that it's worth playing. And that excites me. Part of me is considering like, do I just jump to mafia three? Um, but at the same time, I like beating games. Actually, I just said those words and I, I need to start up a conversation here. Uh Oh, is beating games like extremely overrated? No, I don't um, feel satisfaction from a game if I don't beat it. Yeah, I feel pretty... Unless I know I'm hating the game and I'm not interested walking away from a game, uh, I, I will never stop thinking about how I walked away from it. I can't stop thinking about no, but Remake. I kind of... We we can get back to that in a second, Peter. Keep, keep that on your mind. But I, I agree with you guys and... The thing is, is that I want to break free from that feeling. Like, I don't like that I let these games that I don't really like take up that much time from me. And uh, uh, my big guilt one right now, which I'm determined to beat by the end of the year, but 
God, I just don't want to play it is Sifu. I'm so shocked at how much I don't want to play this game. Um, I'm not even mentioning it in, in the what I've been playing, even though I did boot it up for about 15 minutes. And I thought in a period where I didn't have anything to do, it was like, this is the perfect time. I thought I was kind of approaching a mood for it, and I started playing it, and I was just like, nope, I am not in the mood for this. Uh, I want to beat it by the end of the year because it's torturing me. But at the same time, I just might not like this game, and that's fine. I I don't know. Like, I I don't like when it feels like I'm only playing a game because it feels like I need to beat it. That is one of my least favorite feelings in this hobby. And I don't I don't know if there's a way with how deep in we are to break free from that. But I, I wish I could. I definitely wish I could. Does that feeling ring true with you guys at all of like how torturous it is to force yourself to beat a game that you don't want to play? Mark, my question is, what was the last game you have? Well, yeah, what was the last game you really forced yourself to beat? Dragon Quest Eleven echoes of an elusive <laughs> you age. Just make sure they don't stand up. They stay on the ground, Mark. You keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> it was just a really long game. Uh and there was a lot of parts of the game where I felt were just weren't very interesting. Like a lot of lulls in the story. And when a lot of those lulls like add up over seventy hours, like it's just it's a pattern of just like, okay, I just really wanna get through this part until we actually get to something I'm more interested because some parts of this game were nice. Like, that I'm I'm happy I've done it because I like to be able to say I've played a Dragon Quest game, uh, especially because it was really recommended to me, even though it wasn't my favorite game I ever played. I don't think it's a bad game, but it I just it, I knew it wasn't clicking as strongly for me, and that's that's just okay. I could have stopped, but. Uh, I wanted to at least see it through at the end because it wasn't just like I, I wasn't the only one holding myself to the standard of finishing the, that game. It was more so uh, I knew other people who had finished it. So I wanted to at least have finished it and then talk with them about it, see what they really liked about it and then talk about what I didn't like about it. But usually when it comes to the parts where I didn't like something about it, it's just dismissed. It all comes back down to Dragon Quest was just a baby poo-poo game, and that's all I ever had to say about it. But no, <laughs> I had other criticisms about this game, but no, they're just out the window. That's definitely the last game I felt this way about. Peter, you're you're currently experiencing this. Well, I don't have to answer. You know, I don't have to. I mean, you do. You, know? you were asking you. No, we don't, I don't, guys. I, Mark, what have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing. No, no, no. I've no, been playing no, the no, waiting no, game, uh, waiting for you to answer the question. That's what there I'm playing. There we go. There we go. I'm not gonna say Dragon Age Origins. Why not? Oh no, I. I was thinking of. Um, I don't near Automata for you. I'm sorry. The game I feel this way about right now is near Automata. And I don't, again, I've never tried to be like, this game's poo-poo diaper garbage, because I know how much it means to you, and I'm going to beat this game. I promise you I will. But I'm just 
if I was if I did not make this bet, I would have tr- I would have played that game's first hour and a half, and I would have never touched it again. I never would have, and I didn't even die. I don't know what it is about Nier Automata, but from so many different angles, it just screams unappealing to what I like. I don't like the characters remotely. I hate looking at the world. I think it's an ugly game, and I don't even mean graphically. I don't like the art style. I don't like the design of the characters. I hate the gold tint that's covering the world. I don't like the enemy designs at all. I just... The combat's good, and some of the music's good. The voice acting is also bad. I I know I, I just don't... I Mark, we talked about it before about how I'm done and I'm I'm tired of voice acting in Japanese games that have so many unnecessary like so much grunting. Oh, yes, that because <laughs> Kingdom Hearts does it all. I mean, every single Japanese game does it. I don't know what it is about their culture that they oh, feel yeah, the need. No. It's in everything. Yeah. The the anime grunting is like hard to get used to, yeah. it, especially if you're not like used to consuming. Look, I used to be really into anime. I don't like anime anymore. So whenever I hear the grunting, it's like you're reminding me why I stopped. And it's just the way the characters talk, what they talk about, the world, the backstory they've established so far. All of it is just extremely unappealing. But I make this promise. I made this bet. And that game will be completed by me by me by the end of this year. By the end of the year? How about by the end of May? No. End of June? Dragon Age! You're putting Nier Automata on hold for the entirety of the Dragon Age series. Yes, we're playing through Dragon Age right now. What if like it's one day a week you played like two hours of Nier? Uh, Mark, I trust believe me, I haven't forgotten anything on Nier. I'm making sure it's all up here. Oh, you are? Yes, I am. I'll ask you that in October then, I guess, because you won't finish the game by October. Well, it's not the end of the year, is it? Might as well be. Why is that? I don't know. I just think it's a weird choice to just drop a game for so long like that. I've done it before. I dropped Horizon Zero Dawn. Well, obviously I won't do that. I dropped Horizon Zero Dawn for like two years. The name of the What's the name of... Uh, the robot from the robot village who runs the robot village. <laughs> Shit! Can you yeah. give me the letter? The, the letter no, the name I starts won't. with. I will not. You know them. Like if you don't ah. know them, uh, huh? It's like an ah. There's like an ah in the middle of the name. It's all uh-huh. up there. It's it's just all, all, all up the stuff there. that's important. I rest my case, everybody. <laughs> um, but but Peter, you just mentioned uh how final fantasy 7 remake has been torturing you lately the version of one wing angel is goddamn fantastic i was just randomly decided to listen to it when i was out for lunch the other day because i was wondering i wonder if ff7 remake did it their own take on one wing angel because they never got far enough in the game and it's immaculate one thing i'd mentioned that i want to give props as I was shitting on them the last week about their financial decisions. The 
balls that Square Enix had when they were first writing One Winged Angel. Nobu, Mark, what's the the composer of Final Fantasy again? Nobu Matsu. He knows that people who play FF7 are going to love Sephiroth before the games even come out. He's so confident on that that the main part of Sephiroth's theme is just the screaming and chanting of his name. And it's incredible. One Wing Angel is one of the best tracks in gaming. It's so goddamn memorable. So memorable that when you watch reactions of Sephiroth being revealed for Smash Ultimate, as soon as many people even hear the first note, they're losing their shit because they just know, oh my god, it's Sephiroth. And FF7 Remake is a game I stopped playing a long time ago, not because I thought it was bad, but similar to Nier Automata, I just felt very tired after playing it. But I want to return to it someday. And I have to now, now that I've heard One Wing Angel. All right. Mark, Maybe is the robot's... Is... Hang on. Is the robot's name Emil? I'm glad you thought of Emil, a character not in near Automata. Damn it. Or not... <laughs> not well, well kind of is, but not for the main story, but... I've heard that's that a, name referenced. I'm gonna get this fucking robot. I'm going. That's to get a near it. character. They are okay. So Emil is in near Automata. I'm I'm wrong to say that they are not, but they are. Emil is not a main character of near Automata. It's a side character in the game. How not about uh? How about game. Jackass? I'm just putting myself on the. What a great my, oh! There's a character in this game named Jackass. There is. There is. Yes. I'm not. I'm not being Jackass. stupid. Side character, not a main character. But still, Jack. I was like, oh, hey, Jackass. I hear characters say, oh, hey, Jackass. Like, what are we doing here? What are you doing? I don't know. I think I would like that. Um, this is a fun NPC. I thought it was a little silly. I got a little giggle out of it at the time. But uh, we don't We don't need to keep spinning our tires on, on beating games here. I'm sure it's something I'll complain about for the rest of my life. Uh, but, Mark, what have you been playing? Uh, so, I finally finished the one and only Triangle Strategy. Got my ending, and then looked up some of the other endings, and I feel like I picked the best ending that wasn't the golden ending at the end. The golden ending where if you make all the right decisions and everything happens perfectly. Uh, I, I don't know what that is. I'm doing a second playthrough right now, just speeding through it to see what that's about. But, I'm very happy with this game. And I think now that I, I'm, I, I've beaten it, I've put it all behind me, and I'm being uh, a bit more critical on it. Uh, it's definitely still my game of the year. It's still a very great game. Uh, and I think story is really good still. I think the biggest thing, like even if I tried recommending it to either of you guys right now, this really cool Square Enix Game of Thrones strategy RPG, the weakest part of this game is the characters, I think. Uh, I think the plot's interesting. That's tough. Yeah. There's a couple of characters I really like, but a lot of them are, uh, while the political intrigue I think is really interesting, very cookie-cutter JRPG characters, and a lot of them don't really have strong personalities. They have strong ideals, and the voice acting can kind of fall flat at times, but uh, if I were to like try to explain who some of the characters are, I, I would only tell you who they are based on, like, this person... <laughs> this person... <laughs> is an assistant to one of the main characters. She is nice. 
and she likes to study. It's like, oh, that's her. She's one of the six main characters. Oh, this is the knight, like the knight who is the head of the the army of your house. He likes to drink, and he has memories of fighting in the old war that is referenced sometimes. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. He's he's in most cutscenes. Uh, and of course, these are characters who aren't necessarily the like stars. Really, there's others who have more convictions in the plot who are who are more involved. But even then, I think they still uh, can follow pretty well, especially the main character who is pretty vanilla. I will do what's right, follow my word best for whatever for whatever's in my house. A uh, young lord who's finally now uh, in a position where he has to make decisions. Uh, and even characters from foreign countries are still just like I'm. I'm I'm a bad guy. Uh, I look like a bad guy. I'm going to do bad guy things, but they are doing things uh, that I think are interesting. But when they when it comes to who they are, it's like oh, I I I know who you are already just from looking at you and listening to you talk for like two minutes. I think a strength to it though is early on is that you don't really know who everyone is because like you can kind of get a caricature of them, but. Do you just know them for what like country they're from, what position of power there is, what their role is? And it's like, oh, you know, everyone has a mask on. And then once the mask kind of comes off, it's like, oh, I feel like I know who you are. And the characters don't really there's a handful of characters that really do drive it. One character uh, I'm going to is inspired a D&D character I'm going to be pulling up uh, in the near future who I like so much. But uh, despite that, Despite the characters not being the strongest, I still liked a lot of the characters based on what they were a lot. But I think uh, a lot of people would not be as invested as I was because of that. Uh, I, I even the characters who I may be described as like kind of boring, I, I was still into because even though they are nothing, they're not much more than they are their ideals. Uh, I like the place that they kind of fit in this world, whether they have a huge role or not. Even with Fire Emblem games, there's a bunch, there's dozens of characters, and some some of them are not the most developed, but just knowing who they are for the role that they kind of fit in that, the worlds that they're in, I still think are are fun to experience. Uh, I, I think just because a character isn't the most involved with the plot or even has the greatest scenes doesn't make them a bad character per se. They're fun for what they're trying to accomplish as rounding out the cast. Just another person who's in this world who's a part of this war. Uh, I, I don't think like just because they, they aren't as important as... Uh, the main character per se doesn't necessarily rule them out as someone I'm, I'm not uh, someone I would say is just, Oh, they're bad characters. They, they only have like five scenes in the game. They're bad. No, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I want to put you on the spot for something. Uh-huh. Which game is better? This game or fire emblem three houses. Um, I think three houses. If I was to recommend a strategy game to more people, I think three houses is the most approachable one for a couple of reasons. Uh, but I think I do think triangle strategy is the better game of the two. Cause even three wow. houses story, Big like, words. three houses story can fall apart towards the end too. Like I'm fortunate. I picked of the, of the, the four paths you can go down in fire emblem three houses. I picked the most cohesive one towards the end. It's like, a halfway point in three houses where everything kind of splits off into branching paths. And by the time you hit credits for almost all of those endings, there are so many missing details. So many, so much stuff that the first half of the game sets up that these different endings just blatantly do not answer. And you're just left thinking like, was this, was the, the stuff we were talking about in the first half of the game even important? What is going on? And I picked 
lions i love the blue lions uh that ending is the most complete but even then there are some glaring uh questions left on end triangle strategy does not leave you wondering uh, much the endings from what i've seen are very satisfying even though the endings that aren't the gold ending are all meant to be imperfect because there is something not right about the world and the decisions you made even though I, the ending I got, everybody, was basically just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, not that even that I want to spoil it, but I thought it was fine. Poor people are suffering in the world I have built, and they are freezing and starving to death. And for some reason, uh, no one is doing anything about it, even though I think they have the power to do anything about it. But oops. I, that's so you're I, the Herbert Hoover of this world? Kind of. Like, the... I wish I could tell. Like the the final couple chapters of the game, they give you the option to make a decision. There's three paths. It branches into three paths, and there's three endings there, no matter what your choices are. But if you do a bunch of stuff right, there is a different option you are presented at this final big moment of the game. And all these are like huge decisions of just like, okay, what we decide here will basically conclude the global politics that are happening right now. And some of them. One of the options, if anyone heartfully picks them, I don't know why. Like, like this is one character who just consistently has bad ideas, and I only sided with them once. But this final option that they have is just, I don't know. I would love to talk with someone who else uh, who has played the game and see what endings they have gotten. Maybe we'll be able to talk about, you know, decisions we've made in games and how we go about making those decisions. I still recommend Triangle Strategy, but it's definitely... Uh, I feel like I can only really recommend it to people who really, really like JRPGs or are really looking for a different tactics game or want to see more tactics games. I just want to uh, point everyone's attention towards the fact that Mark thought he really got like the second best ending, which means that poor people suffering was not a deal breaker for him on this. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but that didn't make my ears perk up. <laughs> I mean, my my ending, literally, the game literally ended with a scene where just like, it's winter in this medieval world and just people are starving and people are just not happy. And there's a bit more to it, but that goes into spoiler territory. But ultimately it goes like a scene just like, oh, some people are celebrating and then cut to the poor people who are dying in the winter. They're struggling to find beds and clothes. And One like, thing... That, I mean, if people are really sensitive to spoilers on uh, bird's eye view, look at some of these endings, then it's up to your discretion to listen to this. But if you're able to confirm for me or not whether this might be the case, is it one of those games where it's like, oh, the golden ending is everything is perfect, and then every other ending is just like deeply flawed and bad? Um, is that what it's looking like in this game? No, I don't know what the golden ending is. I, from what I understand, uh, because the whole game kind of floats about like the scales and like your small group of people are voting on the decisions. But the golden ending, I think, uh, the main character throws away the scales and is like, "We don't have to vote on this. I can lead us finally. We don't have to come to these conclusions. I know I can make my own decisions." Uh, and I'm guessing that happens because I know there's a playable unit in that ending or on that route that is not obtainable and anywhere else. And this is a very notable character from the game who I don't think survives in any other route of the game. So it's very possible that that's what it's going to be. But 
at the same time, I wouldn't want it to be because there's some people walking on walking in the world of triangle strategy that if it's a perfect world, they just can't exist anymore. They have too much power and they don't have good intentions and there's just nothing nothing that can be done unless if you've removed them from the situation. Like I I could I could if we wanted to go spoilers, I don't know if you guys are going to play triangle strategy. I could present you the three options you were prompted at the end of the game. Uh I don't. I don't want to go full spoilers. It's a little too new of a game, but um, and I also uh, Joe, who's made this podcast many times tonight, uh, I believe he's playing through it. So mm-hmm. I have him in mind. I'm thinking of the Joes out there. Yeah, I do want um, to play this game anyway. So like anyone, who, any listeners out there who are thinking about playing Triangle Strategy, please. If anything I've said about it sounds great, think about it. Just think about it. I. I might play it. The ending talk is is a little concerning for me, though. But um, do you have another game, or do you want to just roll this into your topic? Mm, that's really all I've been playing uh, that I feel like I want to talk about here. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about, Owen mentioned it earlier, uh, games with choices. Uh, choice-based games where the story is very impacted by the decisions you make. Peter had just played Dragon Age. I just finished Triangle Strategy, and... I've been back in Buffalo, so I got to see Peter playing a little bit of his time with Dragon Age, and I won't lie, I was a little repulsed by how Peter was Here going about this. Fucking go again. And I will I will be fair, Peter doesn't usually do this with choice based games. But he was doing it with Dragon Age, and I I, I don't understand how you could go through any choice based games, especially because Peter had gone into this thinking like I like Bioware. Like, that was something he was saying over and over again. I do like Bioware games having played Mass Effect. I want to give this a shot. And I think part of that is, uh, part of the love of Bioware games is the the kind of making decisions and just dealing with the consequences of your actions. Leave and a pretty fucking big detail, don't you think? That's a big detail, I think. And But Peter you're leaving over... one out. What's that? The fact, the Paragon system, Mark. Well, the Paragon system was like the worst part of Mass Effect. Not for me! It's just like, do I want to be good guy or do I want to yes! be bad guy? It's like, no. It's yes! Just like, no. I okay. need that! I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna we'll keep going. Continue with we, your we just, attack on me. Where we're like, the, the different things about Mass Effect and Dragon Age is when there's decisions being made in Mass Effect, they're usually colored blue and red, which is good and which is cartoonishly evil. And then Dragon Age has multiple choices in your game, and you don't really know what is good and bad. And Peter over here uh, wants to make sure he just has the ending that he wants, so he just is looking up what will happen if he makes all the decisions. And I'm like, I, I, I just couldn't, could not sit with that very well. I was like, Peter, that's like the point of the game is just like trying to think before you make the decision what you believe in, what you want to happen, or what you kind of believe in at the at the moment. Just making a decision and then just dealing with the consequences of it and just whether you fucked up or whether something good or bad is going to happen and just whether another decision that's heavily impacted by a past decision is going to come up, I think is so much of the fun and triangle strategy definitely has uh, some of that as well. Uh, but I would never do that because I love when the decision is there, just taking a moment to think like, okay, what do I think about my options? Do I really think uh, with the care with the options provided to me, the scenario of the game, 
Uh, do I trust any of the options? Do I not trust any of the options will actually happen? And just really thinking about it. And I get really invested in moments like that. And to look it up, I feel like just totally just takes me out of the experience. I'm not even playing the game anymore. I'm just I'm just following following a guide and I'm not in the story anymore. You're essentially spoiled, of course, at that point, too. So like I don't even I don't even know you're part of the story, but I but I want to extend it to you, Owen. How do you feel about this? No, no, no. Let me defend myself before he fucking talks. How about that? Let's, let's hear how Owen. <laughs> what the hell is he gonna go in front of me for? He's not involved in this. I think well, so. Well, I, I I mean it's a general discussion for the podcast as well. Yeah, you can but defend Owen, yourself. Well, can... I'm I'm allowed to give my thoughts. But I want to go first because you're about to give your thoughts, but then they could be changed by me explaining myself. Oh, I assure you they won't be, but no, go ahead. All right. Let, but now that Mark's done getting off his fucking high horse, let me explain. Mass Effect, well, every th- like when I first played through that trilogy, I didn't look up anything, played it on my own. Paragon and Renegade, didn't really need to look anything up, led me on the path I wanted to lead. When I played Prey last year, I didn't look anything up. Why did I not look anything up? Because it's one game. It is one game, so I'm fine with making any decisions I need to. Because there isn't two other games, both 20 to 50 hours in length, that will that I will be dedicating weeks of my time, like weeks of, you know, this year to. What's, and I just... Tales from the Borderlands, one of my favorite games of all time. We make lots of decisions there. Didn't look anything up. Why? Because it's just the one... The, the, despite what Gearbox just announced, we're ignoring that. It's just the one game. Why am I looking up things for Dragon Age? To be clear, I do not look up every single decision. But for the ones I tell are major, I have. I'm not going to act like I've been outed because I will wear this with pride. Why have I looked them up? Because and one of my biggest issues with Dragon Age, Origins at least, like, he, oh, here's a scenario. Here's a scenario for you, okay? Ten party members in total, including your character. One of them, her name is Wynn. She is a healer. She's the only healer you get, really. And at one mission, if you bring her, you will meet this random side character. And the side character is suggesting, hey, you should probably do this, and you should probably do that. We're in a serious situation, you should probably do that. And if you have wind, she'll be like, I don't think we should do that. And then if you decide, no, I think we should. She then attacks you and you kill her. And for the rest of the game, you lose the healer. Another thing. This, another, another scenario. This scenario being, I, this scenario being one I didn't even look up. But I wish I had, in hindsight, is there's this character. Named Alistair. He's one of your main people. You know, he's one of your main party members. And he has a side quest where he knows his half-sister is located in this one town. And it's like, hey, I know we're really busy, but if, if we can go there, I'd really appreciate it. And eventually, you know, you do. And this sister is a horrible, just a bitch to him. Just, oh, you killed our mother when you were born. 
you're just a no you're just a like a fuck you're a killer you're a bastard you're no good and alistair's just like please you're my sister i want us to have a relationship and she's just rejecting him the whole time and it sucks he walks out of that going well i uh you know i really expected more and there's about five options of dialogue you get after he's basically just kind of throwing his hands up in the air going like what the fuck just happened i really wish that had been more there's basically two options that lean more towards on the side of, you know, patting him on the back like, hey, man, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Two that lean more on the side of you're a pussy, suck it up. And then one that's just kind of indifferent. If you pick one of the two suck it up pussy options, it will drastically affect the end of this game. Drastically. Not only affect the end of this game but will drastically affect the rest of the trilogy over a side mission you don't even have to do. That bothers me to my DNA. Here's I one thing for you, that. though. One thing what? I have a question for you. You didn't know that until you looked it up, though, so this wasn't where it stems. It goes before this. There's multiple parts of it, though. It, 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 this kind of thing is what reinforces that behavior in me. Is I hate the idea, especially of a trilogy of games that are dozens and dozens and dozens of hours long, me potentially missing critical pieces of content that could greatly add to my experience because I don't know which dialogue options will get me on the path that I want to be on. That's why I'm sorry. I'm basic. I like the Paragon Renegade system. Look, I understand the appeal of Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild of, oh, this, there, the, there's no linear nar narrative. It's an open world that doesn't tell you where you need to go. And then people who hate Mass Effect of, I want to be able to make my own story. All these notions of the shackles are off, I don't like them. I've never liked them. I like linear. I like being in a box. I like being told relatively what to do. I don't care. I don't feel bad about that. I will not apologize for that. And I don't like the idea of spending upwards of 100 hours on this trilogy and just being left in the dark of... What's going to happen? If I got Wynn killed accidentally by having a conversation with her, I didn't realize was that important. And that I'm, sh especially I'm sh shit out of luck for the one healer in the game that's known for its difficulty. I'd be furious. That's not fun. I don't look at then go, well, this is the decision I made. I go, I didn't know this was even an option. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that was on the fucking table. I would have completely reacted differently. Thank God that was actually a situation that I didn't look up. That's one of the few situations in this game that I was like, oh, this seems pretty straightforward. I know what to do. But God forbid if I had just accidentally picked one other thing that was a little more aggressive than I, you know, thought it might have been. Like if it was off paper was more aggressive than it actually was, like, you know, once I said it, I would have killed my healer and one of the few characters in the game I actually liked. That's not fun to me. I like the Paragon Renegade because he gives you the option like, hey, you want to be a dick? There you go. Go be a dick. Here's your path. This is if you want to go be a war criminal, pick Renegade. It's like, hey, you want to be a good guy? 
Just pick top left. Top left Paragon, bottom left Renegade. If I'm a basic bitch, fine. Fucking whatever. I don't regret it. I fully stand by my decisions, and it helps me have fun with this game. Because if I wasn't doing that, it would just be a lot more stressful to me, especially in a game that has a system where your party members can leave you if they disagree with you and they don't like you. Another aspect of Dragon Age Origins, I openly despise. But that's me. Okay. I have thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. Wide hope. Now, generally, in an RPG like a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect or just a story-based RPG, I try to take those choices as naturally as I can. Uh, because I like the fact that my choices can change the story and even the fact that there could be consequences with party members and stuff. I like that. Now, the idea of never looking up a choice is not something I agree with, mainly because of what Peter was kind of alluding to here, where choice balancing can be way off in a lot of games. And the games where I specifically will occasionally look it up is games that give you like one to two random moments of choices. Like you're not making choices the entire game. And then all of a sudden, like they ask you for a choice on something that seems kind of benign. And those moments terrify me because it's like, this shouldn't be here. And I know that because it's here, it's going to have some sort of drastic effect on what type of ending I get. And in those moments, I'll typically pick it, especially if I think, or I'll typically look it up, especially if I think it's going to end up being stupid with how much of an effect it has. Um, I can't think of a great example of a game like that right now, but I know it's happened. A somewhat similar type of situation would be how I played through Persona 5 Royal where you have a limited amount of time to do everything and you want to try and maximize my oh my god my speaking maximize your social links and the skills you're developing and I just don't see the appeal of uh failing all the time at that like i want to be able to experience the most of this game that i can so in that case i would look up classroom answers on occasion or if there was a random i have to make a decision pertaining to someone's social link thing i just want to know what the right one is so that i'm not spinning my tires too badly and wasting a bunch of time because the time is limited. Especially since a game like Persona 5 is not as dictated by choice. It's a really just dialogue choices that occasionally result in like little bleep bloops that are like good for you to receive. So in those moments, I'm willing to consult a walkthrough. I... Uh, I definitely want to talk more about this idea, though, that uh, some random side quest decision can affect an entire trilogy of games. I like that doesn't make any sense to me, 
as well as the fact that I hate how we're just like cool with the fact that games have gotten whenever it's a choice based game with multiple endings we always refer to them as like the good ending or the bad ending or there's one good ending and two mediocre ones and uh, a bad ending why can't they just all be endings like acceptable some good some bad happens like why, why does it uh I was complaining about what Mark was implying with triangle strategy with how it seems like there's going to be one where the world is perfect and every other one is deeply flawed. And I would, I would say probably the worst ending there would have to be the world is completely perfect ending because that makes no sense. That's a bad ending to something. It's it's good because it implies that you made the right choices throughout the game, but I I just don't see any world where uh, say you watched the the TV adaptation of it and everything ended with everything is perfect in the world. I th- I think we would crush that show if that's how it ended. Well, um, with triangle strategy specifically, the decisions you have to make for the golden path are really questionable. One of them is literally just like, okay, go partake in illegal activity, but you need that for the golden activity. I did not make that decision. Get the fuck out! Like, that's what I'm talking about. I hate that shit. But like, How are you, you supposed to know that without looking that up? You're not supposed to. It's supposed to be, like, in design theory, like, it's just like, this is like a special path that if you've made this, like, uh, the decisions, like, if you've made them and, like, actually follow through, you learn more about what, what will happen later. Like, different things will happen. But and it's called the Golden Path. Is it the best ending? I don't know. I don't have to tell you, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to get to it, and maybe next week I can talk about it or whenever I finish it. But I don't think uh, the three endings are the three endings that it presents at the end. One of them is just... <sighs> they, they all have caveats to them. One of them, the one I picked, I feel like just involves swallowing a lot of pride in making a decision and the other two were just like okay there's there's some clear bad reasons to make these decisions in contrast to the uh the reasons why someone would want to pick them but i kind of like that there's like reasons to go for all of them uh there's one i like the shit on because like i don't think anyone could see the good in the trade-off but to pull us back um i i think games where they kind of have those little tiny uh, decisions you can make that can alter at least like an aspect of the story is so much fun to discover when someone else has done it. Or even Triangle Strategy has a bunch of optional characters that depending on which of the three alignments on the scale you lean more towards, uh, different characters like optional characters will come to your party. And some you'll probably never see. It's possible to get most of them on like at least by New Game Plus. But uh, it's cool talking to someone and finding out they never got a party member you got or you got a party member that they never got. Or even uh, with like even to pull in uh, Life is Strange True Colors, for example. I know you played this on Peter, you haven't. Um, But in the final episode, there's a there's a whole scene where a bunch of people are either siding with you or not, depending on some stuff you've done throughout the game. And by the end of the episode, it tells you the statistics of where everything could have uh, gone differently. And there's just some statistics on there where I didn't even think 
like it baked into some of these scenes i didn't think there were variables at play as something like i could have got we could have gotten a different outcome in some parts of this and mm -hmm. i think that's so cool that like oh my god i can't believe that was something that happened i just assumed that was just like scripted everybody gets that but no not everybody gets some of those things and i don't think it necessarily has to be like oh oh that's the ending i wanted but like uh, that's just not my experience out of this it's not about going into this and like getting the ending I want is going through this like honestly and then getting the ending that my actions and my thoughts uh are not 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 what I deserve but just where just to see where that gets me and figuring and then reflecting on it later be like okay where throughout the journey that made other decisions could things have gone differently like I think my my only counter to that because I I agree with your intent there is that sometimes it feels like games aren't operating in good faith in that like you'll like you just said uh, one of your things is uh, a moment of partaking in illegal activity whatever that means uh, ends up leading to whatever this golden ending is I, I'm just gonna go out there and say if that's what they're calling this. I assume it's a good one, but, um, like I, I'm conflicted because I want to say that there should be like somewhat clear logic to your decisions leading to things happening. Like you should be able to feasibly draw that line, but then the technically realistic thing is that. Well, a lot of times your decisions w will have unpredictable bearings on the future, but these are, I mean, these video games are crafted. Well, we don't need to have realism to the point of like, well, you could decide to eat a bagel this morning and it has drastic effects on who you marry in the future or something. Could that be the case? Sure. Do I want my video games to have logic like that in them? Not really. I I would prefer there to be like a clearer thread than that. Um but I'm glad you brought up Life is Strange because I think Life is Strange is a pretty good example of like a choice game done well cuz I believe most of the games are like this, but especially True Colors is really just dependent on like how are your relationships with the characters? You had moments with, with each of these characters, or you could have had moments with them, but you may have missed them. Uh, and did you do the right things in those moments? And do they like you? I think that's pretty straightforward. Nice way to do a choice-driven game. I think the best example and the reason why it's in recent years become so much more beloved is uh fallout new vegas where all of the choices in that game work because you're just kind of like this pivotal cog participating in this war over over the hoover dam and there's like i want to say there are about seven endings and just about all of them correspond to somewhere on that like political compass quiz you'll see so it's just kind of taking advantage of the political spectrum and it aligns the leaders of uh 
of each faction with different areas. And you just, you choose based on that, essentially. And I've played that game a ton of times, and the first time I chose the one that felt authentic to me, and then I've gone through and done done all the other ones, and I think they all pay off well, and they're all interesting in their own ways. And I don't think there's a definitive, like, oh, there's a good ending and a bad ending, besides the fact that there is one faction that is, like, clearly evil. Um... And when you decide to choose that faction, uh, I mean, you're choosing the evil ending. I'm I'm okay with there being like something that is that over, especially since all of the other options are a little more cloudy. Um, but I don't know. I, there aren't a lot of games that develop the multiple ending thing all that well. I think a lot of games seem to cave in on themselves. Mark, can you think of many other games that are like something to point to as something that does it really well? Now, I hate to bring this up. And I think for its time, it was interesting, despite its plot always being kind of bad. I'm going to look at Heavy Rain for a second. Oh, boy. Where I do think uh, a lot of the decisions were really interesting, where you're following the four different characters of the detective, where if you don't discover enough, he will not be able to solve the case. Uh, Ethan Mars, trying to find his father, who's put through five different obstacles, and if you cannot complete all the obstacles, you may not have enough clues to find your son, which will be a different ending. Uh, And then... The other two don't really matter that much, but those two are the ones to kind of point at where I think are kind of interesting, where your decisions matter. And sure, like some of the situations that, that Ethan has to go through, like these five challenges to save his kid, is as simple as he has to cut off his finger and you have to press yes or no. And like you just feel like, oh, obviously, if I press the finger off, I move forward. So get rid of your finger, Ethan. This isn't my problem. But it's like, I at the time, I appreciated like trying to consider being in his shoes and. I don't necessarily think that works as well today, but I like the idea that the game is structured around just like the choices you make doesn't necessarily block you out of the ending you need. Uh, but like, I uh, if you if you kind of make enough progress and things go right uh, enough uh, for you, you can unlock this ending or you cannot. I, I like that you you do not have all the power all the time. And you have to just kind of live with that, even though it is really easy to maybe not cheese per se, but just cut clear answers like, okay, I'm going to move forward. And Mass Effect can kind of be that way too. But Mass Effect, a lot of the times, the situation is like, do I want to help these people or be racist and commit genocide? It's like, okay, well, I if I'm talking to someone to be like, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and we're comparing our Mass Effect decisions, they're like, I really felt like the genocide was the option. It's like, I don't think I've ever had a... I don't think if that's ever happened to me before. I don't know if there's a lot of people out there that are going to be like, yeah, we should have just killed all the aliens, actually. That was the problem. And or even with Heavy Rain, even it's like, oh, someone could have that kind of conversation. of like, oh, I cut off my finger. I did not cut off my finger. I could not do that. And just kind of sitting with those feelings and sitting with that experience, I think is more fun to talk about. Uh, or even experience on your own. Another game that maybe I could reference. Um, the Telltale games 
I don't know uh, if, if they necessarily... They can. They can fit here where different characters can kind of make it through to the end of people's playthroughs. Uh, I personally just love hearing how just the smaller details can be different, how things can play out differently. I think something like triangle strategy paths are so significantly different because it's like six to seven hour chunks of a game that can be different depending on which branch you kind of go down and maybe the branches kind of all come back to certain points eventually but just significant portions of game you'll just never see unless you go out different paths and that always is kind of just intriguing just uh how how much you didn't see because of a decision you made or how much you've seen because you have made some decisions I it's want really interesting. I want to give a quick shout out to a specific telltale ism, which is the the little thing in the corner of so and so will remember that. Mm-hmm. I like that because one game I'm going to critique that I don't know if choices ever become very consequential in it because I I got so close to beating it but I didn't beat it, and that's The Witcher Three, where playing it there are a lot of different moments where it's like oh i i have a small decision to make here and it's not it's a little morally gray and then you come to your decision and nothing really happens based off of it there's no real implication that it will affect anything going forward it never felt like there's any like behind the scenes karma system forming or anything like that and I want my choice-driven games to tell me, like, oh, yeah, all of this will matter. Like, I, I, I want to be reassured of that. Because yeah. sometimes it feels like I'm just, I could choose anything, and it just doesn't matter. That's the end of my sentence. <laughs> okay, I was really ready to swing. was like, I want to make sure I didn't step on any toes. I, I want to say one more game on there that I just that's can be I never finished the game I started it but Until Dawn is a big one where I think even at the premise of the game is just like this is just a slasher film and you are in control of whether everyone will survive or not and you just know from the from the beginning you you already know what's at risk here it's not like some branching path trying to get different endings it's just can I get all these kids out of here based on what I do and some some people are really difficult to to, to keep them alive in that game. I remember yeah. I played like three hours in and never got back or never really went back to it. And my friends are already telling me I already screwed up. I already someone was already confirmed dead because of a decision I had already made that soon into the game. I could not save them. I don't. Know. I don't remember any of my decisions, but I did beat that game, and it was good. You did like it? Yeah. No, I enjoyed it. Um. I could see it being the type of game where if I played it again, like maybe it doesn't age very well. Mm-hmm. But that would also be something like if we wanted to get a group together and play that game, I think that would be fun. That couldn't be a lot of fun. Uh, uh Peter, you didn't want to step on toes earlier. Did you have anything to say? I just I'm hearing everything you guys are saying and Until Dawn is actually an example of what I want to say. I don't typically like playing games where your choices are what really define the story in front of you unless they're like Mass Effect where here's a clear system that will tell you what way you're going because I just I get stressed out I get there I can't imagine because again with Mass Effect depending on some of the decisions 
Like there's a scenario in Mass Effect One that if you continue to press a character, you they will die, and they are gone for the rest of the trilogy. And they're one of my favorite characters in Mass Effect. Albeit in that scenario, unlike Dragon Age Origins, where you're always walking on thin ice, this is a scenario where you have multiple times to try to talk the situation down, and it's making it abundantly clear to you: shots are about to get, you know, shots are about to go off. Someone's going to die. Don't you have to stop this? And I just feel like this kind of stuff bleeds into, for me, my bigger grievances that I kind of previously alluded to with just a lot of where games going right now, where the idea of just make whatever decisions you want, create whatever story to your, till your, like, yeah, create whatever story you want to your heart's content. All these choices in front of you, I get overwhelmed. I don't like that. Like Mark talking about the appeal of you have this one playthrough and then you talk to a friend and, oh, theirs is completely different. That's something I like hearing about from afar. I don't like consuming that myself. Like Until Dawn, I watched Until Dawn. I love Until Dawn. But I would not enjoy playing Until Dawn. Because if I knew, oh, you could get every kid to survive the night. I feel like I just the way I play games and what I want, I want the best ending. I want the best experience. I want my money to feel like it was spent properly in the end. If and I'm, I'm playing a game where I don't get the best possible outcome, I feel like, God damn it, I did it wrong. I didn't do it. And I can see how some will take that moment as satisfying of, oh, because of the decisions I made, I got an unsatisfactory ending, but it's not the game's fault, it's my fault. And I don't like, I don't get that appeal. I don't get that feeling of accomplishment if I created my own story, unless it's the best case scenario. I don't know what it is. I just get too anxious. It, I get, I, it gets to my head. And I just feel like I'm missing out. And I'm not someone... I rarely play games again once I beat them. Once a game is done, it's done. I'm not immediately doing New Game Plus. I'm not going back and changing a couple decisions. I like moving on. as a feeling that still gives me satisfaction. Because you were talking about earlier about how you are okay with not beating games. I'm not okay with that. And... I'm not okay with it, but I want to be okay with it. Well, you don't have to be okay. You're not sick, Owen. You're not broken. You're already whole. <laughs> I just... Here's hoping Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition aren't as lethally vague as Dragon Age Origins was. I, uh... Again, I'm I'm trying to play both sides here, even though I do align more with Mark. Uh in that I like the choices to everything. I do understand uh, the Dragon Age complaints about the unbalanced choices, but I, I gotta say, I don't necessarily understand like an Until Dawn take because that, like, I don't see there as being like a good ending to that because this is a slasher game and I almost think like I would have been disappointed if in my playthrough like no one died 
Like that that would have been ridiculous to me. <laughs> I would have it would have been a badge of honor for me if I could get through the game and nobody died. But if someone died, like that's what I'm expecting. Like I played uh the Man of Medan, one of their anthology series follow-ups. And I was hoping I, I played that in front of a group of friends. I led the controller. I was the one going through it, thinking I I told everyone, no one's going to die. And I I I literally murdered somebody. Like I decided to kill somebody by accident. <laughs> And also in games like that, I, I they're typically quick enough that it allows you to do this. And if you want to do another playthrough, you're not like committing to something huge. Um, sometimes I'll make a bad decision just because like, eh, I just kind of want to see what happens here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. I don't have much more to say on this all. Beyond one game I want to give a shout out to that this conversation is maybe making me want to boot up again because I only played about an hour and a half of it, which would be a game I talked about a little bit last year called Wildermyth, PC game, uh, tactile strategy, uh, like slightly uh, XCOM style strategy game, mm-hmm. where the whole purpose is that it, there is no defined story. It's a story creator where you create the characters that are going to be in this story. And then there are some like kind of AI generated D and D campaigns that it will take you through. And you get to make both social decisions for all of your characters and obviously combat decisions. And there will occasionally be some cool like mixing of the two. And all the while, it, like, fills out this storybook that is your story. And you can even start future campaigns and people from your first campaign will show up in that campaign. I just think it's so cool that a video game managed to actually, like, capture those elements of a D&D campaign. Um, that is a very rare example of where I think the amount of choices like unimpeachable like they're doing it so well where there is no worrying about like man i really hope that this sums up in the in the perfect type of ending nope it, some things are up to chance and it's kind of just like a and d campaign in that way and i think that's cool um and i don't have to have a bunch of concern about whether whether or not uh I'll accidentally align with the villain by the end because of the choices I make. Okay, but it's not like a D&D campaign because a D&D campaign is literally anything can fucking happen. Whereas video games, they have been designed or there are better endings and there are some worse endings. D&D, the sky's the limit. Until dawn, it's built into the DNA. Depends on the DM. No, but, Just depends but on the DNA. I'm also, I'm also talking about a specific game that is not, it's not authored in the sense that, like, they have an intended way for you to end this game. I just don't find fun in getting a lesser ending than what's out there. I don't look at that and go, oh, man, this is the story I made. I think I'm missing out on the better outcome. I That's just how I see it. It's built into my brain. That's how I work. I will I will never well, think differently. I'm, I'm just here to tell you that with this specific game I'm talking about, this built into your brain thing is wrong 
because that is not how this specific game works. Well, then I don't want to play this. Specific, <laughs> you got to Google Wilderness on this one, though, probably. What did Mark say? Yeah, what did Mark say? I was saying, I think, Peter, you just have to Google Wildermyth on this one. No, he won't. He won't. He's yeah, heard he won't. it talked about dozens of times, and he lets it go in one ear and out the other. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's right. I'm not going to uh, the The DM isn't interested in possibly the game that has come closest to capturing the D&D experience. Because I already have D&D. Why do I need a D&D experience? Uh, why not be interested in multiple things because i already have i already get that feeling Uh, it's chicken fingers and roast beef i get it yeah i but oh this is the chicken finger and the roast beef it's i have it already i don't need more that's what i'm hearing i have anderson's why do i need arby's sometimes they have a s'mores shake that comes around peter and the s'mores shake is pretty cool i don't like shakes mark well, that's your problem. I mean, here you go. Then there it is. The tendies and the... And, the and also, I mean, acting like every everything that can branch off of D&D is just Arby's is insulting. Mark, is there any other directions you want to take this conversation? Uh, there's one thing I think it's only fitting to close on, where I was giving Peter a lot of shit early on about looking up decisions and how could someone dare do that when... Are you I do doing have a another record. medieval? I mean, no, everyone knows I played this game. But uh, Undertale is a game I played uh, a while ago. I played it when it came out, and I knew going into it that there were three different endings and how to get to different endings, which maybe isn't the same thing as like actively while playing the game then looking into it, but I went into it thinking, like, okay, I know what ending I want because I know what I have to do to get it. But I think Undertale has, like, the path to getting them has a lot of, like, fun moments that even just, like, knowing that, like, advances that one mindset doesn't necessarily take away from the whole experience. There's a lot of surprises on the way, whether you're doing a neutral, uh, pacifist, or the genocide runs in that game. And I never never finished the genocide run because it was too hard. I got to the final boss, but I I did not have it in me to try to to grind that fight out. So that's the one I would give to you, Peter, where I did actually look something up. But I don't know if it's really on the same level, but I hear you. People can play games the way they want. And at the end of the day, that's that's all we really want for for everyone to play games the way they want. I uh I need to butt in before we Uh-oh. end real quick. Uh-oh. Now, I, uh, I have a confession to make, something I realized in the last few minutes as we were wrapping up and I was looking over my things. Oh, this could be anything. And you all know, I take my title as Game Master at BNY very seriously. And with that title comes a lot of expectations. People are looking to you. You need to be consistently on your game. And looking through my notes, I had made an error in one of the questions. Oh, no. It was the question on top 10 game franchises with Doug Hunt and Nishimura. that wasn't best-selling game franchises that was best-selling games of all time not a big difference 
I was gonna say franchises. There's no way yeah, the yeah, Duck yeah. Hunt franchise. Duck Hunt was yeah, exactly. As I finished reading, I was like, that's why I went back looking. Looking, I was like, there's no way that's right. I had a tab for best-selling individual games and best-selling franchises, but I accidentally removed the best-selling individual games and didn't realize that in the moments. That is my error. I'm I'm airing it out now. Wait, wait, but how did it? How does it, it didn't affect, affect the question? It didn't affect. It didn't affect. It didn't. In the in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really affect the answer. But because I bet there will be a couple people listening to this going, that kind's top ten best selling franchise. It's not. It, oddly enough, it's in the top fifteen best selling games of all time at twenty eight point three million units. But it wasn't the whole thing that it wasn't a part of the yes yes top I'm 10? sorry. <laughs> it's the question like it doesn't affect the points. But I did get that detail wrong, and there were going to be people listening to this going, well, that's that can't be right. And I just wanted to get this on recording, that that was an error on my part, and I will do better. And oh I, will, I, will, I will be oh donating. Boy. I will be donating to a charity of the viewer's choice, because for some reason, whenever people get caught doing shit things, they think that makes them look like a good person. So I will do that as well. I will do better. Well, Peter, I want you to know that there is a charity in mind uh, that I think would be the best charity, especially for a situation like this. Um, well, Mark, this is life. for the audience because they're who I wronged. You still want you to have game. to buy Mark Sonic Lost Worlds? Oh, yeah, I will do that. I will buy Mark I mean, Sonic Lost Worlds. I don't even a know. A game I, still I cannot play because we do not have a functioning Wii U in this house. Because Peter had to break his goddamn beanpad. No uh, respect. How's your PC looking, Mark? Okay, I didn't break wow. it. It broke during a move. All right, Who's before this gets me plotting. over a fucking Wii U gamepad? Like, that's a fucking crime. Before this gets bloody, this has been BNY, episode 60. And we'll see you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Peter, I linked you the, a link to the charity. Goodbye. Take a look at that. In the Discord. It's in it's in the Discord. Goodbye, everybody. But if you want to look at that in the Discord real quick before we end this podcast. I don't. I, I really don't. That's it's charity right Sentinels, there. For the bus is leaving. We have to catch up. We have to go. I'm really, that's I'm leaving charity. now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not we're bye. Bye, everyone. Sentinels. It's 13 Sentinels. Goodbye, everybody.